Today, we have titled our message, Closing the Gap Between Man and God. Now, in this second chapter of Luke, we are introduced to a fellow by the name of Simeon. And I love the part in the singing Christmas tree when Dave Boyer, who is Simeon, comes over here in the, the cloaks of that day and he begins to sing that beautiful song based on Luke 2. It's one of my favorite parts of the tree. Just gorgeous and moving. And I want you to notice in these first three verses we read, 25, 26, and 27, the emphasis, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Then in verse 26, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. And in verse 27, so he came by the Spirit into the temple. It's obvious that Simeon recognized Jesus as the light of the world by divine revelation, by the Holy Spirit. And you cannot really understand or appreciate Christmas without the Holy Spirit. The reason it's gotten so out of shape is that we have forgotten that the Holy Spirit needs to make Jesus real to us at Christmas and all year long. But as we think of Simeon coming to this newborn baby and acknowledging him as the Savior of the world as a baby, it was amazing because you don't usually see in a baby what that baby is to become. Now let's face it. When they're squealing and squalling, you don't think of them as the President of the United States or some great leader or a singer like Dave Boyer. It's hard to picture, but Simeon knew when he held that baby by divine revelation that this was indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. That was an extraordinary revelation. Anna then comes into the picture, the prophetess of Luke chapter 2. She was in the temple when Mary and Joseph came to present the Christ child unto the Lord. Now, this was a unique lady. You've got to realize that. How old she was, we just can almost pinpoint, not quite, but almost. But it's a message to all of you senior citizens. I mean, look at Anna. She is fasting and praying. She's in the temple serving God. And it says that she lived with her husband seven years from her virginity, which means they were married seven years before her husband was taken by death. And then for 84 years, she had been a widow without her husband, serving God faithfully. That adds up to 91. And how old was she when she got married? That's the only thing we don't know. They married quite young in those days in that part of the world. 13, 14, 15 years of age would not be out of the question. So you add, let's say, 15 to 91, you come up with 106. This lady was around 105, somewhere in there, still excited, still serving God, still in the temple praying. Now, what's your problem? Still filled with zest and zeal for God. That is the Holy Spirit at work. 
Some of you have thought, boy, I'm just on the last leg. I hope you get all fired up with Anna's spirit. Joy and gladness filled her heart when she saw the baby. There's the answer. Have the revelation of who the baby is. Jesus, the Christ, and what he can do in your life. The term God and man, which I have put in my message title today, stands as opposites in the minds of most people. It's kind of like east and west. God and man, two opposites. Jesus often talked about his relationship with his father. He said things like, I must be about my father's business. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. I send the promise of my father unto you. But Christmas turns that emphasis, and it's throughout the life of Jesus, through the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that His coming stands before us as a reminder that God and man are not two opposites, really, but that they are to be joined together by divine intervention, and that intervention being Jesus Christ Himself, who came down here to where we were to establish a relationship with us. And so he turns the attention from Father to us in three different ways that I hope will inspire your heart. Number one, he showed us that he was to be a companion to us. Number two, a friend to us. And number three, an intercessor for us. First of all, Matthew 1.23 speaks of him as Emmanuel, God with us. Isaiah 7.14 also has that same verbiage, God with us. John 1.14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. See the emphasis? bridging the gap between man and God. I think it was Friday night. At the close of the tree, I was standing out there in the lobby saying hello to people, thanking them for coming, when a lady came up beside me and she said, oh, this was so wonderful and wondered where she could get the tape that I had spoken of and told me that her husband had just passed away in the last few days. But she came to the tree anyway, there alone, sharing the joy of Christmas. And I just wanted to throw my arms around her and say, though you've lost your husband, I want to tell you about a companion. I want to tell you about someone who will never leave you or forsake you, that even in your loneliness, and your adjustment to life, He's always there. God with us. What a wonderful thing to be able to tell people. God with us. Not way up there somewhere. Right here. Right here where we are. And as I have prepared for today, my soul and my mind, everything about me, trying to be prepared for this hour, it has come to me so strongly and even emotionally that there are scores of people here hearing my voice now who need to know He's your companion. You're not alone. 
You may go home to an empty house. Nobody else is there physically, but Jesus is there. He will go with you from this place to that place. He will be with you. That's how He did it. Closing that gap. God with us. He's real. In Christ, we see the union of God and man. No longer is He a distant being seated on His throne above the heavens. It's difficult for some people to think of God as the infinite one who inhabits eternity. The idea is just too vast for some people. But in Christ, we can see and understand in Christmas. We get a hold of it. We get a handle on it because He looks with human eyes. He touches us with human hands. He speaks to us with an earthly tongue. I always observe in the performances of the tree when Mary and the baby are here, how people are whispering. And I like to sneak in to hear what they're saying sometime. And usually it's, is that a real baby? They don't think we'd use a real baby. We always use a real baby. He's a live baby. And sometimes he does funny things up here. One time they used my granddaughter as Jesus when she was about two weeks old. I was so embarrassed. Oh, I was I embarrassed. She was terrible. She didn't act like Jesus. She acted like her dad. Oh, she wailed, and it was poor Mary. I think we lost that Mary, come to think about it. She's never been in the tree since. But it's a real baby, and you know why we want a real baby? Because he's real. He's not a little piece of plastic. He had real eyes and real hands and real feet, and he had a heart of love. For all mankind, he's a companion. He comes where we are. And he bleeds and he cries with us and he, he, he relates to us. He's God in the flesh. And Simeon picked him up, hugged him, and said, Mine eyes have seen his glory. Revelation. I know the difference between two lovers writing letters and two lovers being together. I'll tell you, I'll take being together as against the letters any day. Huh? I had to go through that for six months before marriage. I stayed in school. My wife went home working a bank so I could stay in school. I mean, my girlfriend, before she became my wife. She agreed to this, I guess. And I'll tell you, boy, that was a bum time. Writing those letters, no way was that any kind of substitute for holding her in my arms, being able to touch her. So often I think of Christmas with a lot of people like that. They're just sort of, well, they give God a little nod once in a while if the mailman comes by. But I want you to know when you have a living relationship with him, that's really something. When he's your companion and your friend. Hallelujah. Is he your companion? Do you know that you walk out of here with Jesus walking by your side? 
When you're at work, he's there. When you stand at a casket in a funeral home, he's there. When you walk into a hospital room and somebody you love is suffering, Jesus walks in there with you. He's there. Real. Somebody was trying to guess my age the other day, and thankfully they guessed way under. It was wonderful. I don't think they were trying to be nice. They just thought I was younger. In fact, they commented, how do you seem to be so alive all the time? Don't you ever have a bad time? And I really don't. Uh, if I had an answer to that, it would be what I'm preaching to you today. Because Jesus is real to me. When you have Jesus, you have heaven and earth. You have the best of both worlds. You have power. You have joy. He said, I have come that you might have life. So I just feel I ought to act alive. And I've come to give you life abundantly. And that seems to me to be a lot more than what I observe in some people. Long faces. Oh, pain. Oh. If they don't have one, they'll figure one out. With Jesus with you, walking with you, talking to you, helping you, touching you. A companion. Oh, there's life in that. The gap is closed between man and God because he's Emmanuel. Then in John chapter 15, he said to his disciples, You are my friends. Think of that. Jesus said that. You are my friends. So often, even young people get the idea he's anything but a friend because adults have told him, if you don't do it right, he's going to get you. But he's a friend. And what is a friend? He sticks closer than a brother. Real friend. Won't leave you when the going is tough. Or when you've done it wrong. It's a relationship between two parties. It's voluntary. It's mutual. It's reciprocal. In the heart of man is an instinctive desire for God. Only man has that desire in all of the creation. Only man. An instinctive desire for God. God gave us ears to hear with and eyes that we might see. He gave us the gift of instinctive desire for himself. And Jesus came down here and said, You are my friends. Think about that. He's not against you. He's for you. Man is always seemingly looking for some divine intervention or visitation on earth. And he goes to every kind of length for that divine visitation. Up to Colfax with rays on the wall or to France or to somewhere. He's always looking for a visible manifestation of God somewhere. We have it in Jesus all the time. You don't need to go anywhere. Just open your heart. He's a friend. He loves to manifest himself to you if you just open your heart. Look upon him as a friend. What do you do with a friend? You call him up or her. You visit that friend. You take that friend with you places. 
That's what we ought to do with Jesus. We ought to call him up regularly. We ought to visit him regularly. We ought to take him with us regularly. That's what friends are for, to share life with. I love the little story of the faithful Chinese minister at the turn of the century. It's been printed up in a lot of little books. He was a man who accomplished a great deal for God in very difficult surroundings. And he was asked one day how he did get so much done for God. And he said, first I get on my knees and I talky-talky. Then I get on my feet and I walky-walky. I like that. You see, he knew who Jesus was. He was just right there. And he talky-talkied and then he walky-walkied. And that's the only thing I know how to do. I talky-talky and walky-walky. Works great. Try it on for size at this Christmas time. Take it into the new year with you. Jesus said, you are my friends. Mutual relationship. Open your heart to him. And know that that is the way he is. He's a friend. Think of your best friend. Jesus is better than the best. Think of how meaningful that relationship is. Jesus can give you a far more meaningful relationship than that. I have a great friend in my wife. She is my best friend, but I want you to know Jesus is beyond that. She cannot provide for me what He can provide for me. She cannot do for me what He does for me. He is a friend of friends. And there are certain things that we need in our lives that only Jesus as a friend can give to us. Don't walk your own way. Don't try to get away from Him. Don't try to hide from Him. Rush to Him and say, What a friend I have in Jesus. All my sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege it is to carry everything to God in prayer. He's a friend. But then He's also an intercessor. He was taken up from us after His pilgrimage, 33 years. Over 500 saw him taken up. An angel came and said to them, the same Jesus who is taken up from you will so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. And I'm sure they thought in that moment and in the days to follow of what he said to them. John 14, 13. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do. Wow. Whatever we ask in His name, He'll do. He's praying for us. He's interceding for us. Hebrews 7.25 says He ever lives to make intercession for us. That's why He went away, so He could make intercession for us. He would not be bound by body, time, or space. He was the eternal God. And I am amazed as I travel at how God knows the time zones. He's awake all the time. While people are asleep in Hong Kong and we're awake here, He's ministering to them there and He's ministering to us here. What a God we have. He's not bound by time zones. He's a spirit. 
now. And he's praying for us. And I need his prayers. And anything I ask in his name, he said he would do. My. And I want to underscore what he said in my name. Doesn't come through anybody else's name. Nobody else's stamp. It's in his name. That's why we always say, in Jesus' name we pray. Father, we come in Jesus' name, in my name. It's the only kind of prayer he's obligated to hear, prayers in his name, because it bridges the gap, you see. I'm asked to pray in public a lot, various functions. Some of them are really funny. I mean, you think, what am I going to pray here? But they want a prayer. So I always pray in Jesus' name. And I've taken a little abuse because of that on occasion when people didn't like it, were offended by it, and they come to let me know that I did a wrong thing. I say, well, excuse me. You were asked to pray. You pray in any name you want. But they asked me to pray. And I always pray in Jesus' name. And I just have this knowledge that if you don't pray in his name, the prayer isn't heard. So I want to make sure the prayer is heard. I want God to bless you and all these people here. So if you get invited, you do whatever you want to. But since I was invited, you're going to have to let me do what I know is right. So it's in Jesus' name. Usually ends the conversation. Doesn't always end the contact because I often have gotten a letter follow-up. But that's all right. In my name. See, people are afraid of Jesus. People all over this world are afraid of Jesus. They don't want his name mentioned. Except they can cuss like a blue streak, but when you want to use it in a... Ah! Don't use that name. It's crazy, isn't it? The reason they're afraid of him is because they know his very presence condemns them. His very life says, you've got to get this thing right. You've got to straighten it out. He went back to the Father to pray for us. His spilled blood could be applied to our sin-stained lives. He could reach down now and touch us in healing power, praying for us. He says to God, you see my son down there, my daughter, they need a Father says, son, as you will. Lifts us to God. There's no one like Jesus to close this gap between man and God. What power there is in his name. His name is more imperial than Caesar's, more musical than Beethoven's, more conquering than Charlemagne's, more eloquent than Cicero's. It throbs with all life. It weeps with all pathos. It groans with all pain. It stoops with all condescension. It breathes with all perfume. Who like Jesus to set a broken bone, to pity a homeless orphan, to nurse a sick man, to bring a prodigal back without any scolding, to catch the tears of human sorrow. Who has such an eye to see our need, such a lip to kiss away our sorrow, such a hand to snatch us out of the fire, such a foot to trample our enemies, such a heart to embrace all of our necessities, would to God that all knew his sweetness, his companionship, his friendship, the power of his intercession. 
naked, bruised, lost in the cold, Jesus came. Came to be my high priest. Came to be my captain. Came to identify with me. Oh, what a Savior is Jesus. And in this crowd this morning, He identifies with each one of us as individuals. That's the miracle of Jesus. You see, I learned that in Scripture. Christ preached one of His greatest sermons to one man, Nicodemus, John 3, verses 1 through 16. He talked to him about wind, and He talked to him about spirit, and He ended that great passage with the golden text of the Bible, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, You see, in the story of Christmas, the angel said, this Jesus is born to you in a computer civilization. The message is to you, to you, to you. You are known by Him. Nicodemus was one man, but Jesus preached the greatest message to one man. And there was one woman sitting by a well in a forlorn place called Samaria, but it was into that city Jesus came for no other reason but to minister to one woman sitting in a well. And he told her, they that worship me must worship me in spirit and in truth. She was changed forever. One woman. He went into Jerusalem's open-air hospital called Bethesda to restore one man who had been 38 years on his back, sick and afflicted unable to get into the water in John 5. But one man, Jesus said, take up your bed. You're made whole. One man. Detour in his journey. One man, 38 years afflicted. You do matter. You do count to Jesus. When you read his parables, one lost sheep, one lost coin, one lost son. One, 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 one. He knows, he cares, he reaches. He met an Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8. He met Saul of Tarsus in Acts 9. He saved a Philippian jailer in Acts 16. Paul said he gave himself for me in Galatians 2.20. For me, for me, hear it, friend. For me, you matter. He came for you. This child is born unto you. So that he could bring us to God. You see, God was way over here and man was way over here. When Jesus came, he built a bridge. God and man were able to come together. Abraham Lincoln was considered a great president because he identified strongly with people. He came up the hard way. He was born poor. The log cabin is always associated with President Lincoln. Well, friends, that's exactly the way it is with Jesus. Don't miss him. He identified with us. At this Christmas season, remember that you cannot cross the Jordan without him. You cannot stand in the presence of God without him. And so he offers himself to us now as a companion, as a friend, as an intercessor. That's what Christmas is. Paul Rader is a name recognized by many of you. 
Paul Rader had many a talk with a banker in New York who had become his special friend. The banker would reply always to this great preacher that he was too busy for religion. But he did what many men do today. He overworked, lost his health, and was sent to a sanatorium for a complete rest. One day, God spoke to Paul Rader about that banker, and the message was very clear. It said, go and speak to the banker. And so Rader left immediately, caught a train, and went to that sanatorium where this banker was now being cared for. As he drew near, he saw the banker standing in the doorway, and the banker cried out, Oh, Raider, I'm so glad to see you. And Paul said, I received your telegram. He said, No, that's impossible. I wrote a telegram begging you to come, but I tore it up. I did not send it. Mr. Raider said, That may be so, but your message came by way of heaven. He found his friend under deep conviction of sin, and he pointed him to Christ, and on the spot he received Jesus into his heart. And immediately he said, Raider, did you ever see the sky so blue or the grass so green? Mr. Raider said, sometimes we sing, heaven above is softer blue, earth around is sweeter green. Something lives in every hue Christless eyes have never seen. And with that, his banker friend slumped onto Paul Raider's shoulder and died. You see, this friend Jesus cares about bankers in sanatoriums, street sweepers in Sacramento, laundry people, hairdressers, grocery clerks, men and women, young people. And he sends messages to the preacher about the people. I got a strong message this morning. There would be people in these services today who would be hearing the Christmas message for the final time. I mean, it's your last shot. This God of mercy, this God of friendship, who gave the very best he had to the world, offers you salvation one more time. Will you receive it? It's like this banker. He had one more chance. Thank God he accepted it and is in heaven today because of his faith. A tombstone in the cemetery read, Contemplate as you pass by, as you are, so once was I. As I am now, you soon shall be. Prepare yourself to follow me. A young man walking through that cemetery looked at that and stooped down to write two more lines. To follow you, I'll not consent until I learn which way you went. Now I want you to know this preacher will never rest. This preacher will never be satisfied until I know which way you went. The thing that tugs at my heart today and burns in my soul is how many more days do all of you have? Some, this may be the last preacher's voice you ever hear. And it may be the last time you feel the quickening of God's Holy Spirit in your heart. So I must plead with you. Receive the Christ child today. 
take him up in your arms like Simeon and acknowledge him as the Messiah, the King of all the earth, and the only one that can bring us back to God. He wants to be your companion, your friend, your intercessor, so that one day as he sits as our judge, he will be able to say, come on in, well done. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me, please, throughout the auditorium? Nobody moving now. Now we have completed the appeal. The Spirit of God is in this place. He's been here all day. And He's appealing to many of you to make a decision to follow Jesus. Some of you once were following Him, but boy, it's been far off for some time. Some of you have never received Christ into your life by your own personal invitation. Before I pray, I want to ask, if you will raise your hand and say, would you include me in, my, in your prayer today, Pastor Cole? I want Jesus to touch my life. I want him to be everything you said that he would be. I believe what you've said is from the Bible. I believe he came for me, and I want to receive him into my life. Would you raise your hand and hold it till I see it? Then you may put it down. Thank you back there. Thank you over there, another in that section. Thank you way over to my left, several hands. On the left, right here in the middle, sir. Thank you. And another back there, ma'am. Thank you so much. And right here, a young lady. Back there, sir. God bless you. And another over here on my right. And up in the balcony. Yes, thank you. Up there. See your hand. God bless you as I look up there. Others, hold them till I see them. Yes, over here on my right. Thank you, sir. God bless you there. Thank God for these many hands. And so quickly were they raised, which indicates that God is doing a special thing. Don't turn him away. Yes, thank you right here. God bless you, ma'am. Praise God. Heavenly Father, my heart is stirred. My spirit is moved to realize that you can use a simple gospel message to convince people that Christmas is for them, Christ is for them, he came that we might come back to God, that we might know a companion, a friend, and an intercessor. So thank you for these dear people who raised their hands. Would you forgive them of all sin in this moment? As all of us say in our heart, Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. Cleanse me and wash me in the blood that flows from Calvary. Bring me back to the Father. Oh God, make me a friend of yours today. Thank you for your cleansing power, Lord, that names are being written down in heaven's book of life in this very moment. We rejoice and we thank you in Jesus' name. And just before we say amen to that prayer, with our heads still bowed, my heart is still stirred for those who feel the loneliness that is so much a part of this season for some. I want to pray for you. Maybe your loved one has just recently gone. Or maybe your loved one just ran out on you and you are alone and it's an aloneness next to death. I want you to know there's one who loves you. I can't go home with you, but he can. And he will. 
Would you raise your hand and say, Pastor, would you just include me as you close this service and this prayer? I need that. I am in need of his companionship. Would you just slip your hand up? Yes, so many of you throughout this place. And God sees your hand. Dear Lord. Oh, dear Lord. Put your arms around each one. Draw them to yourself. May they, may they never question again where you are. You are with them. You are Emmanuel. Lift the load. Bring joy. Bring peace. We'll thank you, Jesus, for being so special to all of these dear ones. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let us stand together, please.